I don't know. Should I be offended that before I come up to speak, they put a wide angle lens on the camera? It's like, we have to change out the lens. They've had the whole worship team, but now to get me in, they have to change the lens out. I don't know. How you doing? Good? Well, I'm glad you're here. We've had, uh, we've had quite a few people uh, that have been uh, battling the, the transformer. What is that? Omicron? Omicron. <laughs> transformer. <laughs> I'm not sure of the voice. I don't watch those. Sorry. Uh, so, so, you know, this, these are just crazy times. These are crazy times. So I want to start a new series today. Uh, how do we live in the kingdom? Uh, because the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom compared to the world. What we, what we value, our values, and we see it more and more increasingly that our values are like <laughs> exactly opposite of the world's values in so, so, so many ways. So how do we, uh, how do we live in this kingdom? So we're going to talk about some of these elements in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and what, what it means. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, I talked about this a little bit last week, but you know, if you weren't here or if you're watching online, you didn't get it last week. Uh, Matthew 10, 8, Jesus had healed the sick, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. This is kind of the marching orders that he gave to his disciples as he sent them out to do ministry. Uh, and I believe that the Lord is asking us this year, you know, this year to focus on two things with great generosity because freely we've received and freely we need to give. And that I believe the Lord wants us this year, and this is a challenge, uh, a real challenge, uh, I believe the Lord wants us to give more money away than we ever have. Four amens to that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> But four's a start. Four's a start, right? So, uh, because I believe the Lord wants us to focus on two things, and it's, you know, this is the kingdom work. This is what God's called us to do. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So we call this the Great Commission. Jesus is commissioning. This is the marching orders of the church. This is what Jesus says the church should be about, that we should be about going and making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them what Jesus taught us. It's uh, the most important business <laughs> of the church is to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. I mean, that should be our, it's like, what are you all about? Well, you know, we're, we're trying to do what Jesus told us to do. I mean, we feel like our, he's our commander in chief. He's our head. He's the head of the church. He's the head of the body. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords. So we want to do what he's told us to do. And that is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, <clears throat> and then, then Jesus said that there's the great commandment which is love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great commandment. 
But then Jesus superseded that with the new commandment, which is like the great commandment on steroids. (laughs) So the new commandment that Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, when he was talking to the Jewish people, he was saying, this is what the law says. And if you want to keep the law, you do these things. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. This is the new rules of the kingdom. This is how the kingdom of God's going to operate. Love one another the way that I have loved you. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So we should, and you know, nobody likes that word, right? We should. The shoulds are tough. Some people say, don't should on me. Whatever that means. But, but the, as believers, as Christ followers, we should love in such a way that we, this is what he's asking us to do. He's asking us to unselfishly lay down our life for one another. And if we do that, if we do, if we do those two things, tell people about the love of Jesus, and we lay down our lives for one another, we're so contrary to the selfishness and <laughs> the ideology of the world that we will stand out. And then notice how this ties back to the Great Commission. He says, he says, if you love one another the way I've loved you, but then by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It's like, it's almost, it's like this big circle. He said, if <laughs> you need to take the gospel to everyone and you need to love one another as I have loved you. And if you love one another as I have loved you, then people will believe that you are my disciples and you will have, you'll have a legitimate, authentic, real platform that you can speak from. People will believe what a Christian is. The problem is that people don't believe in Christianity. It's because they've seen such bad examples of it. So, so the first thing that I want to talk about today is the first thing that we've freely received that we need to freely give is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. We were freely given the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to freely give the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, how did, how did you get the gospel? It was freely given to you. How do, what should we do with it? We need to freely give it away. Freely you've received, freely give. John 3.16, you might have heard this verse. <coughs> Excuse me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So it's important that people believe, and it's important that we tell people about eternal life. Romans 10, 13 says this, whoever calls, and this is in the message, whoever calls help God gets help. But can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? 
So what it's saying is there's this great message. There's this great message of the love of Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That there's this great, there's this great <laughs> message, this great good news. That it's, the, it's, the, it's, it's the calling. It's the business of heaven. I mean, this is what eternity is about. This is why God created the universe. God created the universe so he could bring us into his eternal family. So the good news of the gospel, it is the business, it is, it is the message, it, it, is, it is the call of heaven. It's the most important message in the world. Eternity is at stake. Eternal life or eternal separation from God. There's no other option. It's so important. This, is, this should be our business because it's God's business. I think the key to being successful in life is not doing what you want to do, but you figure out what God's doing and do that. And this is what God is doing, and this is what God has been doing. And this is why Jesus came, because he wants people to know that there is a way to salvation. So how do we tell them? Well, there's two different ways to tell people. Where the gospel has not been preached, a lot of places in the world where the gospel hasn't been preached very much, where people have never heard, the simple proclamation of the gospel produces salvation in disciples. Like we had Jay with us last week, Jay Newsom, who goes and ministers in Kenya, in the bush of Kenya, where people have not heard about Jesus. He goes into Nepal, which is heavily Buddhist country, and teaches about Jesus. And they do it very simply. They, they use a little, they use a little pict, pictorial because there's usually a language barrier. And they just talk about the son of God who came and gave his life to save them and he died for their sins. And if you believe on him and you receive what he did, you'll be saved. And they do that. And they, they go into villages where they don't know Jesus, where they worship their ancestors. Uh, in Kenya, and uh, they'll preach the gospel, and they'll have a group of people come to Christ, and they'll plant a church right there in that, in that place. And then eventually, they'll build a building, and they'll have a building, and out of that building, they'll not only worship God, but then it will become a school. And just, just from the simple presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, that's, and we believe in that, and we're going to invest in that this year. That's one of the things we're going to be looking for in, in ways to send money in seeing the gospel preached in new areas. So that's one of the reasons why, if you weren't here last week, uh, when Jay preached last week, we gave him $10,000 you know, to kind of prime this pump of what we're going to give away. Because basically, we need to give away about $10,000 a month. We don't even have it. That's the fun part. We don't even have $10,000 a month to give away, but we're, we're going we're gonna to give away as God enables us as much as we possibly can. We're gonna, and the, the goal is, and I believe the Lord's placed on our heart to, to endeavor to give away more than we've ever given away. So, so I think God is asking us to step out in faith and trust him and uh, let him use us to do great things. And we've seen that when you trust God often, he can do bigger things than you think he can do because he's a big God. 
one of the things that often happens while they're preaching the gospel in these places, uh, when they preach the word, that often the word is confirmed with miraculous signs, that God does miracles. We don't see those miracles so much in places where the gospel has been preached a lot, but they see, as Jesus said, you know, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. They see demons cast out. They see healings. Uh, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. Uh, in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, this was normal New Testament Christianity. They said, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. So Jay Newsom was, was here with us last week. And we went and had lunch. And so I asked him to tell me some, some stories. And he keeps, a, he keeps a journal of things that have happened. Uh, and he often sees, you know, these miraculous healings of things that happen uh, because he's preaching the word and God is confirming the word to people who've never heard. The miracles are a confirmation that, and it opens the door of opportunity for people to respond. So he told me that they had gone to a village in India where they were preaching the simple gospel of salvation. And, and about a hundred kind of angry Hindus Bought, brought a girl to him who was blind and said, if your God is God, really God, then heal this girl. And they prayed seven times and nothing happened. Now, I don't know if I would have even prayed more than one time, but they prayed seven times and after the seventh time, Jay said the crowd was getting agitated. And uh, they were concerned about what the crowd, because the crowd had kind of come kind of, you know, like, if you're God's God, prove it. And kind of angry. And after they had prayed seven times and nothing had happened, uh, they were getting even more agitated. And they started, you know, he, Jay, they were talking to each other and whispering back and forth to each other. And Jay prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, we really need a miracle here. And if we don't, you don't heal this girl, these people may kill us. And that may be your will. And I'm okay with that. But I would rather, <laughs> wouldn't you pray this? I mean, that's how you'd pray. I'm okay with your will because you're God and you're going to do what you want to do. But I would rather that you heal this girl. So on the eighth time they prayed for her, she could see a little light. On the ninth time they prayed for her, she got a little better. On the tenth time, Jay said her eyes totally changed in a moment and she was totally healed. And she started pointing to the crowd and saying, I know you, you're and calling people by name, and then pointing to things in the distance and calling out cattle on the side of the hill and so that the people could see. And Jay said, those 100 Hindus that day came to Jesus Christ because of what God did that day. And he's got, what's, he's got, He's got, uh, he's got books full of what God has done. As he's gone out and preached the gospel in new places, God confirms his word so people will come to faith in Christ. 
we don't see those kinds of miracles. God still does miracles, and God is God, and God can do anything He wants at any time. And God still does miracles. He doesn't do them as often. We don't, we don't see them. Now, often, there's miracles happening all around us, and we don't even realize it. We don't even recognize it. I mean, sometimes God uses the processes of life, and He uses medicine and doctors. And yet, the fact that Mark Harris is here today and healed, it's a miracle. Were doctors involved? Yes. But was prayer involved? Lots and lots of it. Lots and lots. And so God's still doing miracles. And I believe we're, we're getting to a place in America where America is going to be so pagan <laughs> and so lost. And because we're getting to the place where you can tell people, do you know about Jesus? They're like, huh? They don't know. They, they, the gospel has been lost to our generation. And so I think we're approaching a time where even in America, because it, God is going to use it to confirm the word, we're going to see more and more of the miraculous because the culture has become so anti-God and so pagan. And, so many, and many people have never heard the gospel. <laughs> I, just, I just read a great book by Craig Kenner called uh, uh, Modern Miracles. And it was very interesting. He talked about the story of a young lady who had cerebral palsy, and she had had cerebral palsy since she was really her whole life. She was 19 years old, and she was she had had been in the hospital seven times that year. They had sent her home to die. She was curled up in a fetal position. Her hands were curled up back up against her arm. Her feet were curled backwards. She had to eat with a feeding tube. Uh, on Easter Sunday, she had some friends. They had a Christian radio station. They were praying for her because they'd sent her, basically they sent her home to die. And 450 people had written her cards and told, you know, to, and so her, she had friends. So after, after service on Christmas, Easter Sunday, sorry, on Easter Sunday, her friends came and were seated with her, and they were reading these these cards that people had written her, that they're praying for her, and that, you know, they were encouraging her. And she said, while they were reading the card, she said, I heard someone over my left shoulder say, my child, get up. And she couldn't talk unless somebody put, covered her feeding tube, uh, her tracheotomy, unless they covered that, she couldn't talk. And so she would get kind of an agitated look on her face, and people would recognize she wanted to talk. So she got that agitated look on her face, and she said, uh, go get my mother. God just told me to get up. And so the two friends that were there got up and left, to go, and she was in the room by herself, and she couldn't wait any longer. And so she, who was in a fetal position, curled up on the bed. Sorry lunged towards the sound of the voice just with everything she had and the next thing she knew she was standing on the ground flat on her feet her hands to her side totally healed totally healed she <laughs> her mother came in you know everybody's screaming hollering 
she's, uh, she's still connected to an IV. She's carrying that IV around. Uh, she hollers for her dad, and her dad doesn't recognize, you know, because now she can, she can do this herself. She hollers for her dad. Her dad doesn't recognize, thinks it's the sister. She runs into where her dad is, and her dad dances her around the room, and they're just amazed. And her mom says to her, you have, you have calf muscles. God had not only healed her, but had restored the muscles in her body. And so she went to the hospital, and her doctor said, this is without a doubt a miracle. It was in result to someone praying, and God did it. Now, does God do that every day, all the time? Well, he does it more than you recognize and you hear and see. There was a man that attended this church just a few blocks away, little Trip Baptist Church. He's been in a wheelchair 21 years. Kind of the same story. And they had a preacher on that morning that had prayed for him, and he had gone home in a wheelchair, gone home. While he was sitting in his wheelchair on Sunday afternoon, he heard a voice, get up and walk. And he did. He hadn't walked for 21 years. And that night, he walked into that church in stocking feet because he didn't have any shoes. He didn't need them. And you would think, see, if that would happen, you'd think a revival would break out. But you know what a lot of people said? He must have been able to walk all along. He just didn't. Because some people, even if a miracle happened, they'd say, I don't know about that. But God is able to do great things. So we want to we preach the gospel in places that needs to hear the gospel. And we want to expect God to do great things. Amen? Now, so where the gospel hasn't been heard, to proclaim the gospel is very effective. But we know here where the gospel has been heard, it's not near as effective just to proclaim the word. I mean, you can go stand out on the street corner in downtown Dallas and and preach the, preach the gospel. And you can do a very good job at it, but mostly what you're going to do is aggravate people. You're not going to see a lot of people come to Christ. doesn't mean that you won't see anybody come to Christ because God's word doesn't return void. But it's not a very effective method to see people come to Christ because people are resistant to that. So if, if we're in an area where people have heard the gospel, the main task is not declaration but demonstration. So we don't just need to declare the word. We also need to demonstrate what it means to be a follower of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. You're the... That just made me think about, you know, there's just a lot... (laughs) There's a lot of places where... They've lost the salt. You know, a church that doesn't believe in Jesus, a church that doesn't believe the Word of God, a church that doesn't believe that people need to be saved has lost its saltiness. 
It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and he gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way, notice this, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, I'm calling you to demonstrate it, what it means to be a follower of Christ. What is the definition of saltiness? What does, it, what does it mean to be the light of the world? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What does it mean to be salty? What does it mean to be the light of the world? It means that what we're doing is visible to the world and they say, and they say in a positive way, that is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Look at that. Look at what they're doing. Often it doesn't seem to be a positive thing. Sometimes it's a very negative thing, isn't it? Look at what those people who say they're Christians are doing. 1 Peter 2.12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And when you read the word Gentiles, just think of nations, the nations. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. He says, keep your behavior excellent. Excellent behavior. Those people say, wow, I don't agree with them, but that's amazing. They're going to slander us as evildoers. Why will they slander us as evildoers? Well, we've, we've just seen it. <coughs> Sorry. We've seen it so much. Because what we believe is contrary to the culture, so they will slander what we believe. They'll, they'll slander you if you don't believe that transgender is normal. He says, but they need to be able to observe our good deeds. Conduct yourselves with wisdom, wisdom Colossians 4, 5 toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet, with gentleness... Gentleness is power under control. With gentle, in other words, you know something. Did you know that sometimes you can beat somebody with the truth? You, um, you're, you can be right, but you can be right in a wrong way. Right? So we need to be right, but we need to be right in the right way. We need to be gentle and with reverence. And, and the word reverence is simply fear. I mean, they could have put fear with, with gentleness and with fear. So what are we afraid of? Well, <laughs> we're afraid of misrepresenting Christ. We're afraid of giving the wrong message. We're afraid of offending. Now, the truth the truth is going to offend, but the offense shouldn't be us. The offense should be the truth. Uh, 
always ready to make a defense. So we need to know what to say and how to say it. Can you see the difference uh, if someone asks you about what they must do to be saved and you telling them they're going to hell? A little difference, right? I've just been observing you, and I see you're kind of a womanizer, and I just want to let you know you're going to hell. Well, well, thank you. Thank you for that. But what if, what, what if that same person, you said to them instead, what if you said instead, can I tell you, can I tell you what it's meant to me to be a follower of Christ? Can I tell you the difference or can I tell you what Christ has done in my life? See, because often the most effective conversations are not the one we start, but, but the questions we are asked, because 1 Peter says, be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you. In other words, be ready when someone says to you, hey, hey, why do you believe in Jesus? I don't, I don't know. I need, to call, wait, I need to call my preacher. Why do I believe in Jesus? I mean, we need to be able to give an answer, right? You shouldn't have to dial five friends to find out why you believe in Jesus. We need to be ready to give a defense. We need to be ready to, to answer the question. Hey, why, why do you have hope in the midst of all this confusion and baloney that's going on now why you seem hopeful you don't i mean man they're selling us fear on every page on every channel in every format they're trying to sell us fear be afraid you're not afraid you need to be afraid you're not why aren't you afraid well because i can't lose I can't lose. Yeah. You know what? Jesus said in the world, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I know in my life, there's going to be a battle. Have you had any battles? But what Jesus said, Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I know that if I have a battle, I'm going to win. See what? I, I, might, I might battle. I might battle uh, COVID again. And it, it may take me out. I may die. I may win. That, I can't lose. No, I, I, I'm not wanting to die today. That's not, you know. But I, I know that no matter what comes, the Lord is on my side, and I cannot lose. I am going to end up victoriously in Christ. I am in Him. My life is hid in Him. My eternity is in Him. This little bit short life, this, this just grass is going to be dissolved up in a glorious, marvelous eternity with Him. So I choose not to live in fear. I choose to live in faith. But often our most effective thing is to listen. It indicates a relationship. 
And if you have a relationship, it gives you an opportunity to lay out the good news of Jesus Christ with gentleness and reference. The most effective key to closing, opening closed minds, the Bible tells us, is prayer. So if you know somebody that you want to see come to Christ, you shouldn't need to be praying for them. Colossians 4.2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying it all at the same time for us as well that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So Paul is saying, pray for me. Let's pray that God will open doors of opportunity. And then when the door comes open, I'll know what to say and I'll say the right thing. That I'll have the boldness. Because a lot of times you, you, a, a door opens, an opportunity opens, and you chicken out. The Lord opens the door of opportunity and someone says, what, what are you, you know, are you Christian? You're like, well, I, I, uh, well, I, you know, what did I say at lunch? I don't know if I need to tell him I'm a Christian or not. Uh, you know, we, we're not ready. So we need to pray that we'll say the right things. We'll say it with boldness. Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert in it with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, and may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So a lot of times, uh, someone asked me last week, what, what kind of outreach programs do you have? What kind of out- outreach programs are you doing? And I want to tell you that the most effective outreach program with the gospel is based in relationship and the demonstration of the nature and character of God. Outreach, it's not a program. It's you. What is your outreach program? Well, it should be everyone in this church. Because you have a mission field. It's different than my mission field. My mission field is mostly you. But you're interacting with people on a daily basis that need Jesus. And God has put you there on purpose. You are the missionary to that mission field. God puts you in that job, in that place, with that influence, in this season, so that you could interact with the people that you're going to interact with, so that you could share with them the love of Jesus Christ, and you could, out of relationship, out of them observing you, out of them seeing how you live the Christian life, that they would say to you, hey, what's up? And if if somebody's not occasionally saying to you, hey, what's up? Maybe you're not doing it right. Because we should stand out. We're swimming upstream. So how do we do it? Okay, I got, I'm going to close with this. I got a couple of things to say. It's not a program, it's you. So how, do, how, do you, how are we going to reach our world? Pray about who you should be praying about. Pray about who you should be praying about. In other words, who should I be praying for? Because you could pray for a thousand people a day. 
but you probably need to pray, be praying for one or two people a day. You need to determine. So the best way to know what to pray is to ask the Lord what to pray. What should I pray about? And the Lord will give you insight in what to pray about. What should I pray about? And then pray for that person every day. Then two, be deliberate about building a relationship with that person. If you're, as you pray for that person, then begin to reach out to that person with hospitality. Invite that person into your house. Open your home. When's the last time you had someone lost that needs Jesus besides your kids <laughs> in your house? God's called us to hospitality. He wants us to use the things he's given us as tools to reach the lost. So let the Lord use you. We need to open up our homes. We need to open up our heart. We need to be, begin to build relationships deliberately. Find out what's going on in those people's lives and start praying about those things in their life. And then, and then we pray for openings. We pray, Lord, give me an opening. Give me an opening, an opportunity. As we pray for those openings, God will bring them. I mean, I've just seen this over and over in my life. I've observed it over and over in my life. I live, I live with Tina for quite a while now. And she's just one of the best natural evangelists I've ever met. Everywhere that we have gone where she has opportunity to, to spend any time with people, she is eventually going to talk to that person about Christ in a very, very affirming, non-judgmental, low-key way. I've seen her lead people to Christ. Uh, we, the lady who was her cleaning our room on a cruise, our room steward, just through the years, the Lord's used her powerfully to do that. And, and, and the Lord will use you to do that. And God's put you where you are because there's people in your world that need Jesus. And then when you get a chance, then you need to speak boldly with gentleness, with gentleness, carefully, and with reverence. We honor the people that we're talking to. We, we, we honor them the way God honors us. Now here's the chances are. You know how you came to Christ? Think about it. You came to Christ because someone told you about him. Maybe, maybe they were, maybe they said, hey, hey, would you come to church with me? And you thought, I don't want to go to church. But you went to church and something happened. When you went to church, Jesus was there got a hold of you because here's the reality this is the business of heaven and God's better at this than we are all he's saying is I want you to partner with me because I want to see every lost person saved I died for their salvation and I want to see them brought to the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit is drawing them speaking to them and you've been and you and you pray Lord I want to do what you're doing God says this one right here I'm working on and you think that one that one's never going to get saved <laughs> some of you were just that person you were that person that everybody said yeah, that person never gonna get saved but God did it anyway
Amen. Amen. Let's stand and pray and we'll sing this song. Or let's stand and sing this song and then we'll pray. How about that?